Hi, and welcome back to Aegis Therapy's PDPM podcast, a resource dedicated to covering Aegis's approach to PDPM and discussing some of the more detailed aspects of this exciting change. I'm Hal Price, Senior Vice President for Sales, Marketing, and Communications for Aegis. And in this episode, Mart Besh, our Chief Clinical Officer, Bill Goulding, National Director of Outcomes and Reimbursement, and Matt Robbie, Aegis's Vice President of Business Development, discuss some of the key items facility operators and providers need to be doing to get prepared for PDPM today. Hello to everybody. This is Hal Price from Aegis Therapies with our continuing series on preparing for PDPM. Today, what we want to talk about is how to get ready at the local level, at the facility level, at the community level. What are some of the things that we can do to be sure that we are prepared for success as we move forward into the new environment? And, and all of us are familiar with a lot of the pain and angst that we went through 20 years ago when PPS uh, was thrust upon us. A lot of people uh, thought they had some great approaches and strategies, and in many cases, that was proven to be true. And in other cases, it turned out that some people were not quite as successful. Uh, it's something that all of us on the call today went through. Uh, and I think as as a result of the experiences that, that we have had, we're in a position to go and, and uh, really bring some benefit to the audience today in terms of lessons learned and things to do to get ready for success as we move onward. So I've got uh, three guests with me today. Mark Besh, our Chief Clinical Officer at Each Therapies, Bill Goulding, our National Director of Outcomes and Reimbursement, and Matt Robbie, our Vice President for Business Strategy. And as we think about how to get ready for the changes, uh, you could pretty easily categorize most of the elements into one of three different buckets, uh, focusing on people, focusing on processes, and thinking about systems needs. So let's start with people. Matt, can you comment on some of the, the uh, uh, variables that, that we need to be thinking about, again, to ensure success in the future? Absolutely. Um, as we think about PDPM, um, obviously one of the core elements that we have to be considering is uh, the impact that it's going to have on our workforce. And as we think about our people, uh, many of those uh, individuals have not worked in an environment where either therapy or nursing under rugs were not very structured or uh, well-defined uh, as they are today. And so when we think about what that represents, um, a therapist in today's world um, has a patient that's classified into a rug category, uh, which stipulates what number of minutes of therapy are to be pr uh, provided to a given patient over a course of time. And in the new model, that approach is really kind of stripped away, and, and individuals are um, what we what we hear out in the uh, communities is being professionally liberated, and I'm sure Bill will expand on that or Mark. Um, but when we think about what that represents, is now they're going to have to be thinking about things very very differently. Uh, what specific care needs uh, does a given patient have uh, over what period of time, and and how do I get to the finish line? And um, Bill Goulding, uh, who's on the on this, uh, speaks to this as, as a process for the navigation system. Bill, do you want to talk a little bit about that that, that discussion point that we share with others? Yeah, you know, I think um, those of us who who went through this sort of a change 20 years ago um, are a, a little reticent to uh, to go through another one. But we, if if nothing else, we've proven that we we can. Um, we can build our processes around very different reimbursement systems. The, the, the positive here is this reimbursement system 
is based upon the unique characteristics of the resident. And so it, it, it makes sense when we think about how do we redesign our processes. And so, for instance, uh, you know, I, I think about uh, an interdisciplinary team meeting process um, really needs to focus uh, very, very clearly, not on how many minutes will this resident get treatment, which is what our current reimbursement system is based upon, but what's our goal? What's our, what's our mutual goal together with the resident and their family? Uh, what, what's the destination we're looking for? How do we achieve that as efficiently as possible with everyone working at the top of their license? And how can we keep everyone informed along the way? And the analogy that I've used sometimes is, uh, you know, if you've ever been in a car that has a, a lane departure warning, um, you know, and how annoying that can be to think that, uh, you know, woe be it to the driver that decides to, to think about changing lanes and you get this beep, 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 uh, and this uh, annoying uh, uh, flashing of light. And that's kind of analogous to our current payment system where our therapists are told, this is how many minutes you'll do, stay in this lane. Um, as opposed to saying to the therapist, um, more of a GPS type mentality. Do you know where you're going? Let's agree on that. Let's program that in. Here's what it's going to take to get there. You decide whether you need to change your treatment approach, change the lanes, change the intensity, change the frequency, change the duration, change the way that it's delivered, whether it's individualized or in concurrent or, or, or group. And that's that kind of professional liberation I think you were referring to. Yeah. Also, when we think about that from, from the other perspective, other people that are going to be impacted by this, um, the discussions associated with the care planning process and, and how nursing and therapy integrate into the IDT process as a core element. Um, and before we get too deep into that one, I also wanted to share the, the MDS uh, role, uh, who has really been limited um, in focus uh, in the past. Um, and, and largely we're thought to be um, getting a lot less work under the new payment model because of the decreased number of, of assessments that have to be done. But the hypervigilance and focus of detail on the assessment is really going to be raising the bar associated with those individuals. So their, their focus and time and attention is going to be really, really probably more around care management, care coordination, and documentation than it has ever been in the past. But Mark, I was wondering if you, you, what your thoughts were as it relates to the care planning discussion and the care pathways. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Matt. I, I think your comments, first of all, let me just expand on your comments just a little bit about about the MDS and, and the role. Uh, when we're thinking about people, I think it's important to understand and to think about in advance, so who needs to be informed about this new methodology? It's a whole lot of new learning. And does everybody need to learn everything? Can some of that learning be segmented into particular focus groups. So what is it that the key individual or individuals need to understand? And what's the best way to go about uh, raising that level of understanding? Because understanding is going to be critical. Um, obviously, that relates to how the MDS is filled out. Matt used the term hypervigilance, uh, which is a great term, I think. MDSs are being filled out all the time today. And chances are they're being very, filled out very, very accurately. And the other, in other words, the information there is accurate. The real question I think providers have to ask themselves is, are we capturing everything we need to capture or we will need to capture under PDPM to really represent the profile of our patients most accurately? Because we know the PDPM is designed to pay based on the, the individual characteristics 
of each resident. And so the degree to which everyone, all of us, can raise our level of, um, of hypervigilance uh, to ensure that we're, we're capturing those. From a therapy perspective, in terms of, Bill talked about the professional liberation, potentially, that therapists can and should and will uh, feel more autonomy uh, to be able to make decisions about treatment frequencies, treatment intensities, and the modes with which treatment interactions will occur. However, it will be important to also understand that while professional liberation, we'll use that term, can be a very, very positive thing, it could also be a disruptive thing, where now you've got literally hundreds and thousands of therapists approaching similar patients, but in a different manner. And so organizationally, I think it's going to be important for, for groups to think about how do we bring, how do we, how do we reduce the clinical variability. And by that, we, by, what I mean by that is how do we ensure that we've got some standardization to the way that care is delivered so that a particular patient in one building should be approached for the most part similarly, um, while perhaps not identically. And Matt mentioned clinical pathways. Clinical pathways is one way to do that. To, de to design some expectations of a trajectory of care. In Bill's analogy, he talked about the, the GPS system. Do you know where you're going and do you have a general sense of how to get there? That's what a pathway is. It's generally what kinds of milestones, what needs to be accomplished for an individual resident and what are the key approaches to being able to help that resident move along their recovery path uh, to be able to reach their target. So uh, clinical pathways we think are going to be really, really important from a standardization and consistency of care delivery perspective. So uh, to all of you, uh, it, it sounds like the role of therapy is still one that's going to have a great deal of potential for impact uh, within within uh, uh, our environment. Uh, been a lot of questions about uh, will we see uh, therapy uh, activity increase, decrease? What will what will the uh, ability be to go and, and drive success or or create create uh, you know potentially financial problems uh, for uh, for facilities? So we know that people typically are either going to go and have their own therapists. Uh, within their organization and an in-house program, or they're going to contract outside. So, question, uh, Matt, for you: If if I if I am an, an operator uh, of a facility, uh, what do I need to be thinking about in terms of being sure that my my therapy uh, delivery system is ready? What should I be thinking about if I have an in-house program? What kinds of questions should I be asking my contracting partner if, in fact, I am outsourcing therapy? And that's that's obviously a, a great question because it's something that's going to be on the forefront of all of our minds, right? When we think about the internal uh, therapy departments, is number one is how well aligned um, are the therapists within your internal therapy um, uh, setting with the change that's coming upon us? Certainly, um, uh, if you have a, a contracted uh, partner to do this service for you. Uh, many of them are going to be national companies that have a broad focus of PDPM and are looking at this very deeply and, and talking about and planning for the transition. Uh, smaller organizations uh, or those that have in-house 
may not be putting as much emphasis on the change or be aware of the change uh, within uh, the new methodology. So how to integrate that within your current work processes um, is, a, is a core element of discussion. Uh, and when we think about the integration uh, as, a, as a standalone operator with your own resources, it's very easy to divert your resources onto the things that are, uh, you know, the fire of the moment uh, and, and not necessarily have the ability to focus on the kind of long-term vision and goal. Uh, so that's a core, core element. The other thing that we think about uh, from an external perspective is uh, the systems and processes that your, uh, your partner is going to bring to the table. What value are they going to be bringing into the transition uh, associated with readiness preparation? Uh, how can they assist you with um, additional support around your coding and add into uh, the new model for uh, sections of the MDS like section K, uh, which focus on speech uh, component? Um, will they be able to have system, uh, systems that will help uh, monitor and control section GG uh, associated with the MDS to ensure that uh, we're providing more real-time integration with you? The, the last piece, and it doesn't matter if you're internal or external, uh, really gets around uh, the handoff process and the handoffs between changes in status. And, and we've talked about this in the past as a group, um, both Mark, Bill, and I have, have had many debates around this topic. Uh, and the handoffs are really a critical aspect when we think about things like the IPA, the interim payment assessment, when functional status changes. And there's a fundamental question that we have to ask when we're looking at the IPA, since it's currently an optional element, um, how do we ensure that handoff happens fluidly uh, so that when therapy identifies a change in status, how do they hand it off? Um, who do they hand it off to, and is it formal in, in the approach and presentation? Um, because largely what we see in the past has been those hallway conversations, notes jotted on stickies, and unfortunately when you know nurses get stopped 10 or 15 times along the way back to their desk when they had that hallway conversation with a the therapist, did that actually translate into the documentation to ensure that we're taking full credit for those functional changes? Um, so those are some of the key elements that come to my mind. Mark, what are your thoughts on, on, on some of that? No, I, I, I agree, Matt. I, I think, um, you know, alignment, um, we've used the term collaboration frequently um, during our conversation here, and I think that really fits. So uh, regardless of, of who your rehabilitation provider is or who they work for, those are the keys, I think, that are going to be critically important. Um, we'll talk in a minute here about some of the key processes, but the degree to which the therapy department and the personnel uh, understand the importance of that collaboration and that communication and those handoffs uh, that Matt just talked about. That's going to be critical to success because no one to simply rely on an MDS nurse, a nurse assessment coordinator, MDS coordinator, to, to be able to sleuth out all of the information all of the different uh, sections and items on the MDS that are going to be relied upon for accurately capturing that residence profile is is pretty short-sighted. It's going to take a team approach. It's going to take a team of players that are all committed to a single goal. In other words, that that comprehensive uh, capturing of all of that information. So I don't think we can understate enough this concept of of, of communication and collaboration. And, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, mention one very specific area of the MDS that's changing that, that really sort of incorporates people, processes, and systems, 
And that's this brand new item that's coming on the NDS um, in section I. And this is going to be item I-20B. And that's where um, one specific ICD-10 code can be entered to indicate the primary reason for the SNF stay, not the hospital stay, but the SNF stay. And so this is going to drive three of the five main contributors towards the, the um, PDPM classification. It's going to drive um, uh, how a resident is classified in PT and in OT and to some extent in speech as well. And so um, the, there, there needs to be collaboration amongst uh, several uh, individuals as to what that code is. Um, and so that comes down to um, uh, how that communication takes place, how that collaboration takes place so that they get the right code in there. But keeping in mind that we're talking about choosing from over 75,000 ICD-10 codes. And so that brings to the four uh, systems and making sure that your software provider has uh, some sort of a scrubbing uh, technology that will at least let you know whether the code that you've chosen to put in I-20B is going to feed one of those um, clinical categories for PT, for OT, and, and for speech. Uh, not necessarily telling you which one to choose, but just making sure that you're not putting a code in there that's going to result in a return to provider, which means you get nothing back. You need to um, re-up that, that claim, and uh, it creates a significant cash flow issue. Yeah, that I-20B um, bill is, is is so critical. But when you, when you were talking about you know the, the the whole process of the handoffs, you know the other element that kind of kind of crept into my mind is thinking about you know from a partnership perspective, does your therapy department have the capabilities of and toolkits necessary to run a group or concurrent uh, profile? Do you have um, it within your infrastructure the ability to add in extenders, and does your your therapy partner? Uh, have the ability to manage and understand the use of extenders in the new world, right? And so I, I'm, I'm wondering what what you know many people in a standalone um, environment would would think about how to integrate um, those activities coordinators, um, uh, other types of extenders into that that care process. Uh, either one of you want to expand on that? Yeah, well, just a few thoughts, Matt. Um, I think it's a great point, and I think again we have. Um, uh, because this concept of therapy minutes isn't driving payment, um, how we have different individuals interact with with our residents and our patients uh, on on therapy caseload. Um, again, we can have the freedom uh, to think about what's the best way to deliver services to the, uh, the, that any individual patient may need. Who is the best person to interact with a patient and um, and perhaps help them practice some of the things that they've learned in a skilled therapy session? So that might be a restorative nursing program. That might be wellness personnel. It might be a rehab aide. Uh, it could even be a family member. So to be able to reinforce and have them practice some of the skills they're learning or just to, to do some routine, repetitive uh, activities with a patient that's going to help them maybe build endurance, which really isn't a skilled therapy uh, activity per se, and yet is going to position that individual more effectively for a successful transition, whether that's transition to another environment within the facility, uh, back home, whether they're living individually or with, with other family members. So just that, again, that ability to think about and examine um, the, the, the services that a given patient needs, 
who's who's the best qualified person to do that. Bill used the term top of license, which is a common term that we're hearing. Let's have the right people doing the right uh, activities uh, with a patient that's going to just optimize uh, their um, their outcomes um, and and uh, and success. And you know, for for years we've used the term in our organization. We've we've paid a lot of attention to outcomes, and and for the most part on a formal basement basis that has referred to the functional changes, the functional impact that therapy intervention has uh, has caused. When we think about PDPM and we talk, we talk about the importance of outcomes, it's a much broader conversation. Um, it, it, it's talking much, bro- much more broadly about the impact that staff in general, caregivers, all, all levels of caregivers, can have on that patient and their ultimate results. So an outcome could be avoiding any sort of uh, rehospitalization or recontact with a medical environment post-discharge. Outcomes be- outcome becomes a much broader term, I think, under PDPM as well. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. Uh, getting ready is not going to be easy, but the good news is, is you've done a really nice job of identifying so many of the variables that we're going to need to focus on. So uh, we have uh, come to the end of our time today. This is part of a continuing series, and we look forward to everyone joining us for uh, the next uh, podcast that we will have coming out to you, and that one's going to be called Start, Stop, and Continue. We're going to be focusing on what are the different things that we'll need to be doing differently in the environment by focusing on what are behaviors that we're going to want to start doing, what are some things that we, in fact, can stop doing, and what are some things that, in fact, we've been doing all along that we will need to continue in order to be successful in the new environment. So thanks to all for listening today. Goodbye.